You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. And we have a great show for you today. Um, we have back uh, one of our um, most frequent um, visitors, and, um, and Rebecca Madigan, and she's going to give us an update on some um, major breaking news with respect to the Amazon tax in terms of you know, where this may break. Um, we have a decision in um, Colorado, and um, we looks like we may be going to the Supreme Court on this issue. And then the second half hour, we have Anthony Todaro, who um, just won summary judgment in a, a landmark um, spam case in the state of Washington involving spam arrest. And um, I've actually worked with Anthony on a number of cases in the past, and um, he's, um, he's a rising star up there in Washington, and we're glad to be able to have him. And it's fitting that we're having him today of all days, as we'll explain in the second half. Um, but this is the birthday of the city that is host to the third largest film industry in the world. So we will talk about that um, in the second half hour. But um, without further ado, Rebecca, are you with us? I am. Thanks, Bennett. Thank you for having us. Um, It seems that we've been talking about this issue for so long. Um, Oh, my gosh. It is a a prolonged and protracted war, indeed. Um, I think uh, it's rightly called the Amazon Wars. But for those who aren't familiar, uh, Rebecca Madigan is the um, executive director of the Performance Marketing Association. 
and um, she has um, one of the founders of the organization and has done a remarkable job at really organizing an industry that hadn't been organized before and focusing on this important issue. And so, um, Rebecca, where do you want to start? Do you want to start in Illinois, Colorado, or um, go right to um the Capitol Hill and the Supreme Court. Yeah, you know, where it, it, it's just when I think things have seemed a little quiet, everything sort of blows up. And um, I think uh, we should start at the start at the top of the of the pinnacle, if you will. Uh, Amazon yes. and Overstock both filed petitions on August twenty third um, with the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, they are trying to get their appeal. They lost their their appeal against the state of New York. Um, the state of New York's highest court determined that their uh, affiliate nexus tax or Amazon tax law was constitutional and legal. And so um, I, I was really quite surprised that Amazon and Overstock were taking this direction. We had we'd had many conversations over the past five years on how far this thing would go. And it's, you know, we always hoped that it would go to the Supreme court, but the the thinking over the past couple of years was, you know what, there's federal legislation, this, the, the, the the sort of the landmark case that everybody references, which is Quill versus North Dakota says, you know, only Congress can really um, decide if interstate commerce law is going to change, which would, be required um, for any sort of internet sales tax uh, standard to be to be issued, and um, and yet here we are, um, and they 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 got a superstar to represent them. Amazon uh, just hired Ted Olson, who just won gay marriage in the Supreme Court. So yes. um, he he's, he knows his way around uh, um, that court. And actually, so, just for for listeners, he is the um, former Solicitor General under um, President Bush, and the Solicitor General is the office in the Justice Department that argues to the Supreme Court. Um, and he actually argued Bush v. Gore um, on behalf of um, President Bush, um, or candidate Bush, um, at the during the 2000 elections. And his wife um, was uh, a, a writer. Susan Olson, I believe it was, who was killed in um, one of the 9-11 plane crashes. I believe the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania carried her. Mm. Well, he is, um, I, I think it says a lot that the chances, I'm, I'm hoping it's a good sign that the, the court will pick up the case. Um, if if Mr. Olson thinks it's a case to be uh, associated with, um, we are we are talking to the attorney about filing an amicus brief in support of this. We did an amicus brief for the original appeal back in two thousand and nine in the state of, and um, and and our attorney's uh, attorney for the for the amicus brief thinks that you know maybe the court is saying it's time to revisit this. The internet has has changed and uh, or has changed everything, and it wasn't in place when Quill was uh, the ruling came down from Quill. So maybe maybe this whole physical presence test needs to be revisited and that's the piece that, that you know a, a retailer cannot be held accountable for collecting a state sales tax unless that retailer has a physical presence in the in the state and quill versus north dakota was about mail order catalogs and there are lots of other sort of tangential cases as well you know 800 numbers credit cards sales reps teachers all those sorts of um, billing systems all those sorts of you know entities or activities going on in a state, does that equal a physical presence and, and create nexus? And and 
Quill, Supreme Court said in, in 1993 that direct mail or advertising in the state does not um, equal physical presence. Well, what about Internet advertising? And right. And the thing York- about Quill is that they talk about it like it, it was something decided around the time of the Civil War. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was out of law school then, so it, it can't be that long. And, and the... Um, and the the New York court just totally punted. I mean, you know, they have a duty to decide cases. And um, basically, uh, here's the quote I pulled from the opinion. Um, the world has changed dramatically in the last two decades, and it may be that the physical presence test is outdated. An entity may now have a profound impact upon a foreign jurisdiction solely through its virtual projection via the Internet. That question, however, would be for the United States Supreme Court to consider. <laughs> no, you joker! You're the you're the judge. You're supposed to apply the law, and you know. And so it seems like you know, basically, the the, the New York court more or less handed the the case to the Supreme Court to decide because they didn't want to have to invalidate the law. And so, um, I, it seems like a perfect invitation for the Supreme Court to step in. And usually, when court, the Supreme Court has to decide whether to step in, one thing they look to is is there a conflict in um, among the states. And here we have this whole hodgepodge of, you know, what is what is permitted and what is not. You have, you know, Illinois, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit, has determined that it's non-constitutional. You have this strange situation in Colorado. And um, so you have this mixed bag of case law and statutes, un- you know, and it's unclear what the standard is. And so this is a case, I think, that begs for Supreme Court intervention. You know, and I think it's, um, I, I think we, we do need, I think everybody wants some sort of definitive measure. Um, and, and that kind of leads, that's to me kind of a segue to actually kind of bounce over to federal legislation. Um, because this, this is about what Amazon's actions are. And I read a lot every day about what is Amazon doing? They're, they're filing a petition with the Supreme Court, and yet they say they're um, supporting the Marketplace Fairness Act, it, which is congressional legislation, which would change interstate commerce and uh, require all retailers to collect sales tax. It would essentially get rid of the nexus requirement. And, and the way I see it, I, I don't see these as being inconsistent, Amazon being inconsistent at all. Amazon supports the Marketplace Fairness Act because uh, they want everybody to have to play under the same rules that they do. They, they are building physical locations throughout the country. They don't want to be um, undercut by other e-commerce players that aren't um, uh, you know, having to, being required to pay sales tax. So, th- so they're trying to level the competitive playing field, both with uh, They've given up and, and, and kind of said, you know what, we, we're going to have a, a warehouse in, in lots more states, so this sales tax avoidance strategy is no longer going to be our dominant strategy. It's going to be putting our warehouses as close to the customer as possible. So they want to bring along, drag along all their e-commerce competitors. They don't want to be undercut by, you know, the future uh, online behemoth that could have right. a price Their biggest fear is another Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they also don't, these state laws are very inconsistent too because uh, a retailer, an, a, an e-tailer can avoid st- collecting sales tax by terminating their advertising agreements with in-state websites. And that's how my industry got involved because we've had 13 states pass laws, 90,000 online marketers have been wiped out, and about a 1,000 
uh, online retailers choose to avoid working with these uh, website owners as opposed to collecting sales tax. So, you know, I think the way I see it is that the Supreme Court decision would hopefully make the Amazon tax laws, these state laws, illegal, and the federal legislation would make them moot. Either way, we, we don't care. The, either, either passage of either of those will allow our industry to get back in business again. So that's, you know, that's why we support, and I, I think it's pretty clear why Amazon supports both cases. Now, it's interesting. In, in, in the judicial system, there's a, a notion of mootness or ripeness, and I guess this would be more ripeness. That if something isn't really ready to be decided, you know, let if some if it's going to be determined in some other form, why not wait and see what that other form is going to do and decide? And um, and then the, the flip side is mootness. If something's already been decided, why should we touch it? And so, if how will Congress react when the, if the Supreme Court grants cert, which I'm sure they will, um, would that cause them to say, "Hey, here's a." Here's a tough political question, you know, something with the word tax in it on, you know, coming, creeping up on an election year. And, um, you know, are we better off just letting the, letting the nine people in robes decide this? You know, honestly, when I had such mixed emotions when I heard about the Amazon, the I went, my first reaction was, damn it, this is just going to delay everything, you know? This, you know, we thought, we really thought we had support last year in Congress. Um, I think we, I think we had the votes both in the Senate and the House. And then, you know, the whole debt last year was, was what basically shut down Congress for making any progress on anything. So our, so we had no chance of getting this hurt. And then this year we had Senate pass the bill and, uh, we thought, but then again, the political, um, lines have been drawn and, and the parties are controlling um, whatever Congress does based on some sort of political strategy. And so once again, the, you know, that's shut us down in the House. Um, but we had the votes. Um, now, you know, I think they're going to do exactly what you said is, is why get in the middle of this one? Let's wait and see if the Supreme Court doesn't. Right. I mean, um, this, I mean, in one, it, Especially since it seems that their reaction and the opposition to the bill in the House is um, because of a, of a word, not substance. So, because that this the the, the legislation you know involves enabling states that have sales taxes to collect the sales taxes they have in place, it doesn't impose any new sales tax. Um, but because that you know. It involves taxes tangentially, and so therefore would increase some level of um, of collection. It seems like this is the illogical rigidity of the the House Republicans would uh, are are making them oppose it, even though it, in in substance it really isn't a tax. Well, you know, and honestly, um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, Republican support for this. I mean, uh, we've spoken to senior leadership. Um, supported it last year. Um, I haven't met with his staff this year, but he supported it last year. Um, Who did? Uh, Eric Cantor. Oh. And Paul Ryan actually came out in support of it because, uh, and then there were a number of Republican governors. Um, Governor Haslam from Tennessee was a, a witness and testified at the House Judiciary Committee last year, and he's supporting of it. And the kind of the Republican perspective has been 
uh, of course, to preserve the competitiveness of the brick and mortar retailers. So, so they don't want unfair competition to happen by e-commerce retailers. But also, a sales tax is, is more equitable and more of a consumption-oriented tax and allows them to lower other potentially more, you know, philosophically more difficult taxes for, for Republicans to, to support. So, so that revenue coming from sales tax would actually offset more egregious taxes. And so I, I think it's, you know, I, I, the bill hasn't even gotten a sponsor in the House. And, and so I don't think it'll ever even come up for a hearing or debate. Maybe it will. Maybe there's enough momentum and push. Um, that my, it just seems like, you know, they're just agreeing to disagree on everything. So this is just one, one other item that gets buried with all the other items, even though there's, there's support. Yeah, I understand. Good, I think Goodlot has um, has expressed his opposition, or at least very is a strong um, lukewarmness, I guess. But we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be Rebecca Madigan talking about the latest in the Amazon tax wars. You're listening to the Cyberlaw and Business Report. If you're constantly struggling to find more customers, revenue, or hours in the day, Infusionsoft can help you have the business you've always wanted. For over 10 years, Infusionsoft has been helping business owners just like you find the financial freedom and peace of mind you've been searching for. I'm Scott Martineau, co-founder of Infusionsoft. If you're struggling to find more customers, more revenue, or more hours in the day, Infusionsoft is the proven solution you're looking for. Infusionsoft, the only all-in-one sales and marketing software created specifically for small businesses. Learn more at www.infusionsoft.com slash radio. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. The largest event in digital marketing, AdTech New York 2013, returns to the Javits Center in New York City, November 6th and 7th. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get 20% off registration by using promo code NY13WMR20. Meet over 9,000 marketing and technology professionals from all over the world. Experience two action-packed days with keynotes, education led by digital marketing's best and brightest, hundreds of leading-edge suppliers, non-stop networking, and so much more. Plus, AdTech New York 2013 will again feature the Startup Spotlight series, featuring startups with promising services and technologies for brands and marketers in a digital space vying for the coveted AdTech Innovation Award. Register right now for AdTech New York 2013 by going to na.ad slash ny or click on the banners on the webmasterradio.fm website for 20% off your conference pass. That's na.ad-tech.com slash ny. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking to Rebecca Madigan about the latest in the Amazon wars. And um, so very briefly, we only have a little bit of time left, but... Um, 
there was a major development in the Tenth Circuit, which uh, which overturned your initial victory in Colorado. Um, and in fact, one of our very first shows, um, we had um, your, your counsel from um, from uh, on the show to talk about his victory there. And um, so, um, do you want to talk about that at all? I do a little bit. Now, it's the Direct Marketing Association that actually filed that case, although we do share counsel. Uh, the same attorney is uh, George Isaacson from Brandon Isaacson is yes. um, representing our case in front of the Illinois Supreme Court right now. So uh, it looks like you, they filed in, in a, a federal and and. Direct Marketing Association has a similar challenge as my organization, the Performance Marketing Association, um, in that we are representing an industry and, and our standing at sales tax case um, can come under question. In our Illinois case, we initially filed under federal court, but um, it got rejected very quickly um, around the, the Tax Injunction Act, which um, you, you, I'm sure, know much more than I do, but it it. it the way I interpret it is, is it, it can only only um, someone who actually is responsible for the collection and remittance of a sales tax has standing in a in a federal case like this. So, um, the direct marketing association and and the, is is what ha- that's what happened in Colorado is that they said you don't have jurisdiction in in federal court. So they've remanded it to a lower court. Um, the direct marketing association has a, a authorized um, a, 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 neck, a challenge to that. So they will be um, filing, filing in the state court. The state court, yes, and refiling. So the injunction still is in place. So the, this was I called this the Big Brother tax. They tried to say. You know, sell something into Colorado, you've got Nexus. And if you're a remote retailer, you have to send Colorado a list of all your customers in Colorado and everything they've bought and their contact information. And then you have to um, forward uh, uh, purchase receipts back to the customers' homes as well We because we want to go after them, the consumer, directly for use tax collection. And this is, you know, obviously the privacy violations are crazy on this one. Incredible, yeah. Injunction that was awarded right away, and that injunction is still in place. So I think that's very important um, for consumers to know that their privacy is not being violated by um, retailers, because otherwise, I think the retailers would actually stop selling into Colorado. That that would be my guess, because why would they want to violate their their customers' um, privacy by sending stuff to the government? So. Um, so that's we'll see where, where that happens. And then the, my my lawsuit is against the state of Illinois. Again, their affiliate nexus tax. We won um, the decision, and um, the this Illinois uh, appealed, and now it was uh, we were oral arguments were in May in front of the Illinois State Supreme Court. So we're awaiting a decision from that court. Uh, I was kind of hoping we'd get it early September because they reconvened for their uh, fourth session of the year. Um, and I was hoping we get a decision before then, but we haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, it's interesting. In the Illinois decision is the easiest one to follow since it was like three sentences, right? <laughs> and the judge issued the order or the, the, the ruling from the bench. It was fantastic. I mean, George Isaac said in all of the cases that he's done at, you know, to do with the U.S. Constitution, he's never seen that. Yeah, it, it was it was surprising. I kept I kept thinking a written opinion is going to be coming, but um, it just didn't seem to happen. But um, what is the what is your your view of the likelihood of success at at the Supreme Court level? 
in well, uh, there, Illinois? There's two things. First of all, our council was fantastic. Uh, the, the firm did an amazing job. Their depth knowledge on sales tax around the country is phenomenal. And so obviously, you know, they are, they are, they have a tremendous reputation having to do with these, you know, e-commerce issues and, and sales tax issues. Right. They're, they're LL Beans Council. That's how they got, got into the catalog business, right? Yes. And so, um, you know, the, the, and, and George Isaacson is a brilliant litigator and to watch it, you can see it on the Illinois Supreme Court. It's a, it, the whole thing was about 45 minutes. It didn't take long at all. Pair that up with the fact that this Illinois uh, attorney general's office did a terrible job. They were just real um, uh, ill prepared. And even in front of the Supreme Court, they sent one guy all by himself. Everyone else, there were two other cases heard before. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, they've, they've been so busy prosecuting their governors, um, <laughs> they don't know what to do with a regular case. But, um, but what would the impact of the Supreme Court taking the New York case be on your case in Illinois? Would would um, I think our case will be decided first? So I, I'm hoping that will have a positive influence on the Supreme Court case because um, they will see that there is some uh, that that a state has has ruled this law unconstitutional. So I'm hoping that's a supporting element um, in this whole thing. Um, I, I can't imagine the the U.S. Or would have a decision before Illinois. It just, you know, it seems to me the U.S. Supreme Court they'll they'll, they'll we'll know in October if they've if they've decided to hear this case, and they only hear about um, a, a, about a hundred cases a year out of ten thousand petitions that they get. So right. statistically, the chances are are kind of low. Um, but um, you know, then it then the calendar obviously happens sometime next year, and I'm hoping we don't have to wait. I, Illinois was was very uh, expeditious in their in their court system compared to New York. New York took five years to get to this point. Now, if you, the New York case was heard, um, let's say in December, excuse me, in October, they granted cert. Um, well, that would be the end of the term. No, that would be the start of the new term. Yeah, yeah, so they and won't... When would it be argued? I don't. I think I don't know um, when the calendar is issued, but it would have to be. I'm guessing 2014 sometime. Yeah, hopefully you know, during the that term and not during the this the subsequent term. But yeah, I would hope it would do that term. Um, that'd be a fun argument to see, <laughs> especially when you have Ted Olson involved. And I don't know who would be representing New York, but that would be a fun argument to see. Um, you, they're really. I, well, both Overstock and Amazon took different perspectives, and um, Amazon sort of focused on the constitutionality and uh, Commerce Clause, and, and um, Overstock sort of focused on um, the state, how, how um, unlawful state law. So I think well-rounded. Will you be following, a, a, a likely do uh, an amicus brief? I think so. Uh, we're working on it. Uh, our, our amicus brief, which is unique in that we describe the affiliate marketers that got devastated, those 90,000 small businesses. And we, we understood from the first appeal that the, judge, the judges referred to it quite often, our, our amicus from 2009, quite often because we explain the impact, the, the actual in-state impact when this law passes. It's not an, it's not a, you know, potential competitive threat. It is real devastation to a small business industry. And so we think it brings a lot of um, con- real strong context 
um, and real life context to the situation. Well, de- definitely, um, it'd be curious to see how to, how they handle an internet case. They've they've had shown mixed comprehension on this issue, and we've since um, learned that they don't use email to communicate with each other. So. That's another level of um, anxiety, I think, to have. But given that um, Scalia, Kennedy, and Thomas were on the court at the time of Quill, um, you know, there's three votes um, for um, you know, the Amazon position, I would think. But you know, people's minds do change. So um, Quill, but, they're opinions. So yeah, you would be- think that 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 they would um, go the same way. But um, well, I want to thank you for for joining us today, and, and especially on short notice. But and it's it's strange, you know. August is supposed to be a dead month, but it, it certainly has picked up in in this regard. Um, you know, with the developments in just in a matter of the last few days, in both in Illinois, um, excuse me, in, in um, Colorado, and now with the cert petition. So I want to wish you the best of luck. And I want to thank you again for um, all being so generous with your time with this show. But um, anyway, if people want to contact you, what, what's the best way for them to do so? Our website is thepma.org, P as in performance, M-A as marketing association, thepma.org, and my performancemarketingassociation.com. Great. Well, thank you very much. Um, we're going to bring in our next guest, who is Anthony Todaro. And Anthony, um, fittingly, is an, um, an Angelino. And the reason why I say fittingly, because um, we're going to take a short break, but today is the uh, birthday of the City of Angels. And um, a little more after this break. Um, You're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report through this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Are your online campaigns getting more clicks than conversions? Then you need to sign up for Conversion Conferences 2013, happening September 30th through October 2nd in Boston. If you want to start increasing revenue and stop wasting money, you ought to be at Conversion Conferences 2013. Discover why Conversion Conference was selected as one of 2013's must-attend conferences by under 30 CEO and why over 900 leading companies send their marketing teams, web designers, and executives. What's more, webmasterradio.fm.com. 
listeners get a 10% discount on their pass. Simply register online at conversionconference.com with promo code WMFM or click through the Conversion Conference banners on the webmasterradio.fm website. Wouldn't it be nice to invest less and convert more? See you at Conversion Conference East 2013 in Boston, September 30th through October 2nd. Sign up with promo code WMFM for 10% off registration right now at conversionconference.com. Hi, this is Victor Pitts, host of Domain Masters, one of the longest-running radio shows on webmasterradio.fm. We'll show you how to utilize domains to drive traffic to your business, plus we'll discuss power tools of the trade and the power players of the industry. Domain Masters, on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly, and today is the the anniversary of the founding of El Pueblo de Nuestro Senora La Riena de Los Angeles. I'm going to butcher the rest, so I'll stop. But basically, the village of Our Lady, the Queen of Angels of Porzincola. Um, by 44 Spanish settlers in 1781. And I misspoke when I said our next guest is uh, an Angelino himself. Actually, his wife is. But um, we have with us Anthony Tadaro. And Anthony is um, he is an experienced trial lawyer. He has been voted a rising star in Washington law and politics. And then in 2011, Seattle Magazine dubbed him a top lawyer in Washington. I've worked with Anthony and myself on a number of spam-related matters. And um, he just coming fresh off a, a summary judgment victory in a, a unique case involving spam arrest. Um, Anthony, welcome to the show. Hi, Bennett. Thanks for the invitation. Always always happy to talk about a win. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And um, this is this is a unique case. And just by way of background, you know, a lot has been uh, written and there's been a lot of press about um, the spam litigation going on in the state of California. But Washington has been a very active ground for spam litigation. You have Mr. Gordon was from there. Um, Mr. Joel was a Joel Hodgel was also very active there. And there's been a number of. Um, um, or outfits that have been based in Washington that have brought a number of, of the, the spam cases that we've seen litigated and, and opinions published upon. And so um, so Anthony has had definitely wet his teeth on those. And so this is, was a new twist, um, the spam arrest approach. Tell us about their, their theory. Yeah, yeah, this is a different twist. And early on, uh, there were a number of lawsuits brought that Microsoft had basically engaged in when they were bringing that uh, campaign of of going after some of the uh, some of the big spammers out there. That that has died off now, obviously, with with the uh, regulations in place. But uh, this is a different twist. It's really it's not a can spam case at all. It's not. It wasn't even brought in connection with our state statute, the uh, Commercial Electronic Mail Act, up here. Which is one of the was, first state spam laws in the country, if I remember. But yeah, yeah go ahead, I'm yeah. sorry. And, it, and so, so there really was nothing about the emails themselves, either the content or their subject lines or any failure to comply with the requirements under CAN spam 
This was brought by a local company called Spamarest, which offers a, an anti-spam service, really, where instead of uh, some software that filters uh, email, they have their customers who pay a, a monthly subscription fee get a service by which they filter email, so to speak, through a challenge verification system. So one of these things where you send an email to one of their users, you get an, a bounce back email, a verification, a challenge email. That, and in order to complete the process and have your email released to the recipient, you have to click on uh, a hyperlink in the challenge email and then complete an online um, verification. But the lawsuit is about the fact that within that verification process, spam arrest included certain terms of use and in fact what they called a sender agreement whereby the sender was, in our view, unknowingly accepting terms that included uh, an agreed upon liquidated damages penalty of $2,000 per email if the recipient hadn't expressly consented. So uh, they have brought, that company has brought a number of these lawsuits, all with the same theory. And in fact, they're really photocopies of one another. Uh, I think they've brought six or seven now um, in Washington. And we finally were able to take one to summary judgment. And obviously, I'm pleased with the result. The, the court kicked it out on a number of grounds, uh, not the least of which was that the liquidated damages clause doesn't hold up uh, when you're talking about the injury being the transmission of, of an email, whether unwanted or not, that's not misleading and is compliant with can spam. Now, you know, I actually, you know, I'm, I've done some work with the, the lawyer on the other side, and, sure, and they, use, for they use spam arrest. And I frankly always found it to be really annoying, <laughs> and I, I just I did you know I thought it it, it actually it, it increased it's annoying for the sender because it you know it, it increases the number of emails because if I send an email to you, um, I get one back from you saying please confirm who you are so you can send email to me, and that you know if I send it from a different email address. Um, or sometimes even just a different IP address, I get the. I have to do the same thing over and over again. I find it really annoying. I usually, if I get the chance, I type something saying how freaking annoying it is. And and, and right. you know, I've right. have done that a bunch of times, and and don't ever recall m being aware that I was agreeing to anything. Yeah, the email that you get back is is frankly kind of an unabashed marketing email from Spamarest itself. Uh, it's, which is kind of amusing. I mean, it, it it is the first step in their process, but all it seems to really do or largely do is tout itself. Uh, it doesn't make any reference at all to your agreeing to some sender agreement. Um, they changed it a little bit recently to give uh, a subtle reference to it. But then you click on the hyperlink to go through this verification process, and what you get is a page with a CAPTCHA on it. And right. part of the part of the issue here was the the sender agreement, the so-called agreement, appears below that 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 uh, dialog box where you or not a dialog box, but the the box where you enter the the captured. Uh, and um, you know, one of the things, the actual, actually, the one thing I was disappointed in in the order is we 
we weren't able to convince the court that that is not a proper way of contracting through the internet. Uh, I was, you know, the, the typical click wrap way you go through things where you have the user make some sort of affirmative action that right. says they're agreeing to a, to a contract. You know, you click a box that says, I accept the terms of use above. That's, you know, that's the industry customer. That's how we, we normally do things, and that's the right way. But in this case, you don't have that. You have the completion of the verification process, which just so happens to have appended to it this, this sender agreement, which I, I think is, uh, is misleading and really not the right way to do things, particularly in a, a case like this where you don't even know that you're, you're in the process of contracting. I mean, there's no right. reason to know that. that <laughs> it's akin to a, a negative option that would be you know, um, completely contrary to the FTC guidelines. Um, yeah, because they're, they're introducing a new step, a new process. While you're, you know, think you're doing just a simple verification, they're adding on this new thing that you're not aware of. And I suspect if they tested it and actually said, "Hey, you know, Bozo, this is, um, this, you know, we're, we're making you agree to these terms right here. Look, flashing letters," and if people understood that. Um, I bet you the response rate would would be horrible. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And it's um, you know the technology they use, they really haven't changed it in in over a decade since they've come into business. The only thing they've really changed is by slapping on this uh, this what I consider to be a total trap of a of an agreement with a penalty clause at the bottom. And it's interesting, um, you know, because the other side was so was so very confident of victory. Um, you know, I recall um, speaking with them about this case um, a few months back, and they were almost mocking of the uh, the idea that summary judgment could be entered against them, not in, and not in their favor. Um, so, had there been any any other decisions that were that had been put to the test? No, they haven't, which is why I was happy to get this one. There are still two other pending cases in state court in Seattle, which are which are photocopies of the complaint in this case, but just against two other companies. Um, they they managed to get settlements and some other ones, so uh, it's really a campaign of litigation on their part, and hopefully this will at least slow them down if not stop them but you know these type of cases usually they they count not on the victories at, at before the bench but victories and settlement and have, have there been um, a lot of their cases settled along the way is that how they're able to continue there have been some yeah yeah. So I guess that that kind of fuels it for them, and um, which is you know I guess if you're from a client perspective, that's a tough decision position to be in because um, sometimes you know it, it makes economic sense to settle, and granted you are fueling <laughs> um, for litigation against your competitors, but they don't. Again, they're your competitors, <laughs> and um, so um, you know what is the downside? I guess. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting that you know this late in the game, and you know, ten years after enactment, it can't spam that you know we're this this we're actually still seeing novel twists on the um, this whole issue. 
And uh, the one question I have for you in, in terms of you know, where some of the future spam litigation might go, you know, one argument we've seen a lot of in the past is that um, somehow is deceptive for an email company to try to even take into account or make any efforts to um, structure the email so as it get you know it, it maximizes its um, reach of the inbox and you know whatever filters are being used it takes that into account and you know adjusts accordingly and so some of the the major spam litigators have argued that that's deceptive that you're you're deceiving this um, inanimate filter and that somehow that inanimate filter has a cause of action for the deception. And uh, I guess my view is if you can't pay fees, it doesn't have a cause of action. But, um, you know, we just had the decision come down in the uh, Craigslist case where they defined, uh, and somewhat different, but they defined, um, you know, what constitutes um, a breach of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, you know, what is unauthorized access, and there they had the case of, you know, Craigslist had actually notified um, the company that was scraping its data to, you know, cease and desist you, neither, neither you nor anyone associated with you or your sisters or anyone has, has authorized to access the site, you know, forevermore. You know, pretty definitive uh, letter. And so I'm wondering if you're going to see some of these um, spam litigators try to do something similar to you know some of the more active emailers saying you know you are not authorized to send an email to me, and um, and any attempt and I have filters in place and any attempt to evade those filters now would be an abuse of the a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, there was a CAFA claim in in our case as well, and um, essentially the way the court dealt with it is to say, well, of course you have authorized access to the computer systems, to spammerous systems in this case, um, even if you're sending an email that they say is is improper or, or otherwise unlawful. The access is certainly uh, anticipated and... and um, the, the act of sending an email doesn't go beyond uh, authorized access. Now, you know, when you start seeing uh, more explicit attempts, like in the Craigslist case, of actually informing the sender you do not have authorization, um, I agree with you. You're going to see, you know, we're going to start seeing that tested uh, uh, more and more. But this court seemed to take the position that. Um, uh, you're certainly authorized to access the system in that way. Uh, you know, I think we all understand CAFA to be largely targeted towards towards hacking and, and right. that type of thing. Yeah, I just saw that opinion and I wonder, oh my God, are they going to try to revive that argument? And um, so that was just that was just a concern when I was reading the language. I, I could just hear certain voices. <laughs> Sure. Not that I'm hearing voices um, that you uh, should be concerned about, but you know, I just, I just actually thought, wonder if people are making those arguments. But so, in terms of the you know, um, spam litigation in, in Washington, is it still fairly active? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I, uh, I, I think that Congress actually did a nice job with can spam. I. I I think it's appropriately balanced and it's handled. Uh, it's really closed off a lot of the issues with spam litigation. 
Um, spam arrest has been active, but they have their own motivations and their own arguments here. Our state statute still uh, exists to some degree. It's been largely preempted, but there are elements of it that weren't. But I actually have not seen much under the state statute, which would really involve, you know, predominantly the misleading subject lines, that sort of thing, which, which you, know, you just don't see that as a practice as much anymore. Now, you know, the state of Washington, um, aside from having one of the first spam laws, they made, um, they grabbed headlines and, and actually, you know, trail, set a, a trailblazing course with the attorney general actually creating a high-tech unit and that focused on, I know they did a lot of spyware cases and, um, you know, I got to meet some of the people there and they had a very talented crew. Have they been active at all on the spam front? You know, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, they have brought a couple of cases. I, I agree with you. Their focus seems to be more on, on malware and that, and that sort of, uh, that sort of angle at this point. But, um, uh, that, that group, I think I know the, 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 the woman who heads it that I think you're referring to, um, is kind of an offshoot of their consumer protection group. And so right. they have done, you know, obviously when the state's involved, it's in much more egregious factual circumstances, typically. I was impressed. I had a deposition I was, as a third party. Um, they were seeking information on um, a business that we had um, placed advertising for, my client had placed advertising for. And, um, you know, you had the, the lawyer from the technology unit, but they also had a technologist, you know, to help explain, you know, the various elements. And um, so they, they clearly made a substantial investment on it. And, and I was monitoring their, um, I was monitoring the annual reports of the Attorney General and it's, you know, they seemed like it was getting a return. There were actually substantial recoveries being made that were going to consumers. Hmm. I have to say, I didn't know that. That's interesting. That's very interesting. But, not that, you know, so I guess you're not running for attorney general anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't think I'd get very far. <laughs> now, um, it, it, actually, in 2003, you were voted a rising star in law and politics. Was that mostly for law or was it for both? <laughs> I think it's for law. The, the particular publication does, uh, it, does one of these, um, uh, what do you call it, where they, you know, basically polling of your peers and, oh, okay. and uh, they do that in the legal community so it's certainly a nice thing to get so Anthony um, if people want to contact you or learn more about this case what's the best way for them to do that well they can email me at uh, it's my my first initial and last name A-Tadaro A-T-O-D-A-R-O my law firm is Corcronin which is C-O-R-R C-R-O-N-I-N. I'd be happy to happy to chat more anytime. So what are you and your wife gonna do today to celebrate the birthday of Los Angeles? <laughs> I'm not I'm gonna have to let her know about that. She's singularly focused, however, on our kids' first day of school. So oh. uh, she, uh, she's probably less uh, excited <laughs> about the birthday of Los Angeles as she is to hear how they do. Yeah, I see you're, you're native of Capitol Hill in Washington, and that's a, it's a great neighborhood. I used to stay in that area 
sometimes when I just didn't feel like staying at a downtown hotel. There was some nice, nice little inns in that area that I stayed at when the I used to um, be in-house with the uh, Washington Company, a Seattle company that um, was eventually no more. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, so yeah, Seattle is a great place, and, um, and so it's great to have no to know lawyers up in Seattle who are doing a, a great work as Anthony is, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Um, and so Anthony Todaro, and um, definitely check out uh, on our website um, at ilccyberreport.wordpress.com. You can find information on the um, decision in the spam arrest case as well as information on the Amazon um, decisions um, that we talked about in the first segment. Um, so it's good to be back, and I want to thank everyone for joining us. Um, as we return from our little August recess. And um, I just actually returned from Florida where I was speaking at Right Online in Orlando, Florida. I was actually there as a legal panelist, not a political panelist. Um, as most of you know, that would be very unlikely. So, um, but um, it's good to be back. But just a, a brief word about my adopted city, Los Angeles, on its birthday. Um, it, we um, we have a new mayor named Eric Garcetti who who actually is trying to break the mold. He's being very unconventional and um, and uh, trying not to be um, too pomp and circumstance. But he's also doing things in, in somewhat of a, a nice cheeky style and with the um, with Diane Nyad swimming from Cuba to Florida on her fifth attempt at the age of 64, um, maybe that's the trick. You wait until you're 64. Um, <laughs> he actually um, got in his kayak and filmed a little video, a short two-minute video congratulating her because she was an Angelino. And I got to say that that was very cheeky and uh, it was a very, very nice way to uh, let all us other Angelinos know that um, one in our community has succeeded. So, but um, LA is um, is the third largest entertainment center in the world. The other two um, main movie centers are in India and actually in Nigeria. They're calling it Nollywood. It's actually surpassed Hollywood recently. But um, Los Angeles is a, a much maligned city, but it's also a city of great potential. Um, great beauty. Um, there are a lot of Nobel Prize winners, a lot of intellectuals here, astronauts, um, the Jet Propulsion Lab, you know, people sending um, rockets to Mars, and um, lots of creative writers. And we have like more public radio stations than any other city in the country. And um, I think we have the highest book readership rate as well. So a lot of, there's a lot beneath the surface if you look. Um, and that's why I wish it, it a great happy birthday as it, um, it matures and um, progresses. And if you want to see America's future, look to L.A. Um, one, it may be happening here technologically as the um, ARPANET, the, the, the forefather of the Internet did, or maybe happening here culturally, um, you know, the kind of the polyglot. Of ethnicity that is um, is here in LA is eventually going to be what the United States looks like, but um, and it may be the future because it could very well be that the World Series is going to be held here with the Dodgers playing the Red Sox, and uh, I'll feel sorry for my Dodger friends when they lose that one. But in any event, um, it is 
to be back and um, we'll be having a, a, a very hearty discussion the remainder of this fall on some of these issues. Um, there's significant developments going on still with NSA and Snowden. Um, Google and Microsoft are petitioning to FISA to get permission to um, disclose what type of information they are requested of and and to provide. Um, they've been having us all summer long. They've had a standoff with the Justice Department over that. And um, there's been a number of other court decisions we mentioned briefly, um, the Craigslist decision. And um, so I encourage you to check out our blog. We give you a n- number of updates on some of the latest developments going on there. And um, so for Bennett Kelly, this has been Cyber Law and Business Report quarters adjourned. I invite you to join us next week. Please check out the blog and also um, look for us um, on the internetlawcenter.net, on the web, at, uh, on Twitter, internetlawcent, C-E-N-T, or you can check us out on Twitter at Cyberlaw Radio. And I want to thank our producer, Jorge um, Brasco, um, as usual. And, um, and once again, happy birthday, LA. Um, celebrate it in style, as you always do. This is Bennett Kelly, um, the Internet Law Center. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.